Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f we want. Folks, today we have Mike Posner in the pod. This was one of the craziest conversations I think I've ever had in my life. Definitely not what I had expected to talk about. Obviously, Mike is most known for his music. He has a crazy catalog of music uh, that we've all been inspired by, that we've all rocked to, and we do touch on that. But this guy has lived a life that not many people in this world can even say they can identify with. Like, he's accomplished some crazy physical feats. Yeah, I didn't have words to say in this episode. It was just, I just had to soak in every bit of his story. This this pod was like the reason for the season. You know what I mean? Yes, like I if, if there was like some unknown, like, like, why are we doing this? Why are we trying to like come together and, and talk to people and share stories or learn something about ourselves? I feel like this was one of those clear as day, like, this is why you do this yeah. and, and go do something with that inspiration. Super excited to share this with everybody. I'm a believer. Uh, so let's get into it. Folks, welcome to or welcome back to Kinja's Movement in the Shadows. I'm your host, Ben. And I am Anthony. And we are stoked for today's guest. It's been a minute. We've been working on this one, but we got it to work. Folks, we have singer, songwriter, and producer. His single, Cooler Than Me, off his debut album, 31 Minutes to Take Off, in 2010, was a top 10 single on the Billboard 100, as well as his top 20 single, Please Don't Go, in 2015, his single, I Took a, a Pill in Ibiza, peaked Number 10 on the charts in 27 countries around the world. We have D-Town's very own Mike Posner in the podcast. What up, though? Mike, what's good, bro? Chilling. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. You are chilling. You're like way more chilling than I, than I had expected. But dude, yeah, we've been excited for this one and, and we finally got it to work, man. Thank you so much for coming through, man. You got it. Yeah. Um, dude, I mean, there's so much that we'd love to get into. We always kind of start with kind of like the beginning origin story. So however deep or, or you know, brief you want to go, can you give us a, just a snapshot of kind of where you came from and how you kind of grew up in the scene and all that? Yeah, I grew up, uh, I was born in Detroit. I grew up in a suburb that borders Detroit called Southfield, Michigan. I started basically rapping when I was like eight years old. I'm 34 now. Okay, yeah, let's so go. Like, yeah, what was that, 26 years ago? Um, start making beats. Um, end of high school, I met a guy named Sean. Started doing beats for him. You mean as in Big Sean? It was Big Sean. Oh, okay, he, yeah, he, just, but I said it was just Sean at the time. You can't just yeah, go yeah. with the Sean. No, I, mean, I was going to reveal okay. it, but okay, okay. I, I tell the story like oh, that. I ruined you the story. Up the, no, Sorry, no, let's man. go back. Go back. I just, to, yeah, it's Sean. Funny. I just tell a story like that because he actually he didn't he wasn't named that yet. Okay. At the time, so when I met him, he was Sean. He basically like jumped me in his crew. I started doing beats uh, for him a lot, hooks for him. He was supposed to go to Michigan State. He had like a scholarship there, but Kanye told him he got signed to Kanye. Kanye said, "Don't go." Oh snap! Uh, <laughs> he said, "You're gonna be a professional rapper when you go." Call. Uh, I went to Duke University, um, 
And while I was there, I started playing around, basically adding melody to my raps. I started mm-hmm. kind of like singing my raps and kind of stumbled on like a new sound for me, a new sound for myself. And um, I had this song in my dorm room. Uh, I guess I'm getting a little past origin, but. No, no, <laughs> go for it. Origin. Okay, so yeah, I had this song I recorded like just in my dorm room that was called Cooler Than Me. You, t- you mentioned it. Yeah. For people that don't know it, they might probably recognize it. It goes, if I could write you a song to make you fall in love, I would already have you up under my arm. This song. So I wrote this and I recorded it, right? In my, just like in my dorm. It started to like catch on. And Mm -hmm. by this time, I've been making music like 12 years. You know, I'm like 20. I started when I was eight. And I could tell something was different, right? Because like... (laughs) I guess those first 12 years, I really loved making music, but no one seemed to like really give a tremendous amount of uh, care about what I was doing until oh, I made man. that. And uh, I was getting a lot of um, offers from record companies. That's crazy. I remember like finals week, my junior year, my manager called. He's like, we, we got to go to New York. I was like, I was just in New York, man. Like, I got to study. <laughs> He's like, you got to go back to New York. I was like, for what? He's like, Jay-Z wants to meet you. Wow. I was like, man, I guess I'm going to New York, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good so, reason for a New York But I trip. didn't really believe it was going to happen. Like, I thought I was going to get there and then, like, I would meet someone that worked with Jay-Z. You know, or he would yeah, get busy yeah, yeah. or something. Anyways. So I didn't tell anybody. Just left, like, on a Thursday. Like, contrary to what I thought was going to happen, which was he wasn't going to be there. I, I went to this room, like, corner office and, like, Jay-Z was sitting there. I was real nervous, you know. I had like my laptop. I was like, "Yo, can I plug it in?" Because you know, you like, got, got playing them songs, right? And then like, I couldn't get it to work. Like the plug wasn't working. Like some with the aux cable, we figured it out. And I played them cooler than me. I remember he just started nodding his head like this, like that. And uh, John Manili was there, and Jay Z said, "What do we do now?" And John said, "I think we do a deal." And Jay was like, "Cool." So we shook hands, we left. I went back to college. I went back to the library. I was typing my paper up. And, how did uh, you even get back into school? Yeah, how did you even focus? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. man, I'm out. I'll see you later. Like, yeah, I went to school and I was typing my paper and then I, like, I was procrastinating a little. So I checked my email and I got an offer for a record deal from Rock Nation. So I was a little distracted after that. You know, that paper <laughs> yeah, wasn't imagine. my best paper. But I, I got, that was my only C. That was my only C, that, that paper. Right? Might have been your last paper, though, huh? <laughs> the, well, I thought, I thought, right? So I ended up, I was being courted by several labels. I ended up not signing to Jay-Z. I signed to RCA. I finished school, but I, I kind of had this double life where I would go to school um, during the week, and on the weekend I play shows at other schools because my music started to catch on at different colleges. Yeah. Just yeah. expanding out of, like, my friendships, first was like the first people heard my music and they show other people and then people liked it too right because if it because if it's not actually good it just stops there yeah, yeah but yeah. then those people actually liked it and they shared to other anyways i saw thursday friday saturday i would fly it's different school different school different school and i play like frat parties and stuff and i go to these school and everyone know the words to the songs that's crazy that's amazing yeah <laughs> it was wild but it's fine to be like 20 people 50 people 100 people and uh, I finished school, I graduated, and- uh, And what was your major, by the way? My major was sociology. Sociology. Yeah. 
my major was sociology. Um, and I was like touring and uh, my manager at the time, uh, his name was Daniel Weissman, he's still a good friend of mine. I had my record deal and I was like cutting all these new songs and for for my new album. Like I had made three mixtapes, so I was getting ready to make an album. So I was thinking like some of these new songs are gonna be my sing like first single off the new album. And Daniel came to me, he goes, Your single's gonna be cooler than me. I said, what are you talking about? Cooler to me is two years old. It's been out two years. Everybody knows already it's old. Everyone's heard it. He looked at me. He goes, nobody's heard it. Nobody's heard it. You know, I was living my life, like, doing this college yeah, circuit. Yeah. And it was like, I'm the center of this little thing. And I thought, like, yeah, like, this song, I got to. He's like, no one's heard it. Hmm. So he hired a, a, a guy named ENC who was a radio promoter. He helps just get your song on the radio. So he just focused on a few radio stations, one in Sacramento, uh, one here. But he got him to play a song on the radio, and I guess it started to do really well there. And uh, it started to blow up like in those markets. And then my label saw it, wow, it's blowing up. And they start, just got it everywhere else. And the uh, song became like really popular, man. It was my first single. I was going around the world, taking my shirt off at shows, crowd surfing, <laughs> you know, making more money than I deserve. And then... Uh, this funny thing happened like after that first single i put as i put out a second single and it was it wasn't as popular mm. and then i put one out after that and that one was even less popular and the trend kind of continued basically until uh like my career was considered over i was considered like a one-hit wonder and i was a one-hit wonder at the time and so I had made I had made a little chunk of change, whatever. But I was I remember I had a house in the Hollywood Hills, and my calendar was just empty. And it's like, what now? What now? No one cares. I, I like it's over. And so I said, think like, well, I still really love music, man. Yeah, you know, you've whether, been doing it since you were eight. Yeah. Exactly. So I was like, well, whether I'm popular or not, like I think I still want to do that. Mm-hmm. So maybe I could take that time to get better at music. Because um, before that, you know, like I made beats, I rap, but I didn't really know how to sing. Yeah. And uh, so I just started like like sharpening the sword and like playing, p- playing piano four hours a day, taking lots of singing lessons, learning the guitar. And now like I could play a concert, just me and my guitar and my piano. But then I didn't know, I, I, couldn't, I didn't play anything. Wow. You know? It was a beautiful moment. It was really hard, but I had to figure out, like, who, who who are you? I thought I was the young, popular guy making money, taking my shirt off at shows. Yeah. But then I was gone. Mm-hmm. So, like, who are you really underneath that? And I had to struggle to find that. You know, it's like, really a identity crisis, I guess, or existential crisis, you yeah. know. And uh, it's beautiful in hindsight, difficult at the time. So I kept... I kept Working and writing, like writing a lot, man. Writing a lot, lots of songs, just just tracking. And then I was, I basically kept making albums, but the label was like, man, I was so cold. I was just ice cold. Like really, I was like shelved. It means like you're signed to a label, but they're not gonna put your album out because like because no one cares. Because it costs money to put an album out. You gotta pay the producers. You gotta pay for marketing you got to pay to at that time make the actual cds and stuff mm-hmm. yeah so like we're just not gonna put it out 
because we don't think it's we don't think it warrants spending all that money and that's not like i'm not bitter at all like it's just a decision you know business decision yeah so i'll make it like just making stuff but it was a car i made like two albums and never came out and uh they weren't coming out so people started to because i was still getting better at writing people started to want to hire me as a writer for their music um how did people get wind of that Cause really, man, I don't know how to sing. Like I had to figure out myself too. Like, how, if I can't sing, how's my song like as big as Lady Gaga's song mm. that I recorded in my dorm room? Like, how is that happening? It's I'm a good writer. I'm good at that. Got it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel right? that. Yeah, totally. I'm a good writer, and so I still had these songs like for these albums that weren't coming out. So it's. I started giving to other artists. So the songs that you had already put on these like two albums. They that were, were yeah, these out. two albums that were just on my laptop. Yeah. So it was like, look, better if someone else sing them than they, they just, just shelved. Exactly. Yeah. So that's how we got Boyfriend for Justin Bieber. Uh was a song I, I helped write. That's how we got Sugar from Maroon Five. That's oh, was a wow. song that was off of those albums. Song. You wrote Sugar? <laughs> yeah. Well, as other crazy. people, I wrote it with some friends. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, I wrote it. Wow, wrote that's it. amazing. Yeah, I started to be successful like that. I had this dream. I still had this dream. Like I felt like I wasn't done as an artist. Like everyone thought I was done, though. Like everyone it was over. And even I kind of thought it was done. And I had so I had this belief, like this narrative in my head, like like you're not an artist. Like you were an artist and. You kind of like failed, or like you were one day wonder. And I first, my first step was I started to try to change that in my own head. And so I wake up and and I would meditate and I go on a walk. And while I was walking, just in my head, silent, not not out loud, in my head, I say, "I, Mike Posner, will win the Grammy for Album of the Year. I, Mike Posner, will win the Grammy for Album of the Year. I, Mike Posner." We win the Grammy for Album of the Year. I say 15 times every day. At first, I felt like oh, I'm an idiot. After like a month, I'm like, I'm gonna win the fucking Grammy for Album of the Year. I don't yeah. believe it myself. Mind you, I'm still signed on the old label. That I'm still shelved all the things. So I was just making a list. What's all the stuff I have to do to go from here to win the Grammy for Album of the Year? Yeah. Right. So first thing I had to do, I had to get off this label. I got to get them to drop me. So my lawyer, I'm like, call him, like, yo, can you get them to drop me, please? So we just ask him, you know. But, like, th- that's their lo- last priority. They're worried about, like, the shit they have popping over there yeah. at the time. So they actually agreed to it. But it took a lot of time to actually get them to go through, just following up every day. Like, can, what's going on? Can they drop me? Can they drop me? Please, 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 please. Finally got off the label. Then it was like, I got to find a new manager. I had parted ways with my manager and like, I didn't have the right people around me. So I was searching, searching. I finally found the right management team. Then it was like, I got to write great songs. You know, so I was writing songs every day. And uh, I was in the studio one night with this guy, country artist named Jake Owen. And we we're passing the guitar back and forth. So that means I'm playing a song on the guitar that I pass the guitar to him. He plays a song. He passes it back. I play him a song. And he said, Mike, what's that What's that song you just played? What's that about? 
I said, that's a song about like a girl I had a thing with in New York. Please don't go. No, it is after Please Don't Go. Oh. And then I said, for a girl I had a thing with in New York. And somebody I just made up. And he goes, well, why don't you just tell the truth? Why would you make yeah. something up? Why don't you tell the truth? And it just like hit me in my soul. So at night, I, I had a long flight. I was going, I was going overseas. I got on the flight. And uh, my notebook, ideas start coming out here. Like, I took a pill in Ibiza to show Avicii I was cool. And when I finally got sober, felt 10 years older. Oh, fuck it. It was something to do. I'm living out in L.A. I drive a sports car just to prove I'm a real big baller because I made a million dollars and I spend it on girls and shoes. But you don't want to be high like me. This could come through. Wow. So, so now I had this song, right? I'm like, what do I got to do next? I'm going back to my list. You know, it's like, well, I want to be able to play that thing. I got to play that thing on Jimmy Fallon. Remember, like, I didn't know how to play guitar a couple years ago. So I'm like, I'm going to play a thing on guitar on Jimmy Fallon. And I'm going to kill it. So, uh, and I'm like, this song, someone did a remix. These guys in Norway did a remix of the song. It started blow, like, I was just like, still just sharpening my sword, going down my list. You know, I had a big beard at the time. I was like living yeah. in my van, like, just <laughs> tried to, my manager calls. He's like, yo, man, this song is number one in Norway. I'm like, uh oh, it's happening, you know? Then there's like, yo, it's number one in Sweden. So I sent my family down. I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm, it looks like I'm having another big hit song. Like when it comes to America, it's coming. So like another thing on my list, like on the way, you have to have a song like people actually hear. <laughs> you know, like it makes people, you make a great album, no one hears, you know, like it's hard to win that Grammy. Right? Totally. Hmm. Unfortunately. So that's another discussion. <laughs> I'm so curious, man. I mean, I know we're just kind of sitting here just listening to your stories and, and it's amazing. I'm sorry you asked one question. No, I no, yeah, no, I love amazing. it. You're just, we're opening up the road for you. But um, you mentioned, you know, because my question all the time is like, what is that thing that flips the switch in someone's mind to be like, I need to switch something up. Like, I don't like what's happening in my life right now or I don't like how things are going. Something needs to change. And then you decided, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go on these walks. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to just repeat this phrase over in my head 15 times. Was that something that you just kind of came up with yourself? Did somebody encourage you to do things like that? Like, where did you learn to find something like that to be the thing that broke yeah. the rhythm of well, what you were doing? It's a book Big Sean gave me, actually. Uh, called asking is given and one of the things it says in that book which i think is so profound it says a belief is a thought repeated over time mm. a belief is a thought repeated over time that's all belief is mm -hmm. so you think a different thought but repeat that thought because remember, I had a, the thought, like, my career is over. I'm a one-hit wonder. That was a thought I'd been thinking for, like, mm, wow. years. Yeah. So I had to think a new thought to, like, replace that and think it so much, repeat it so much over time. This became my new belief. So then that question is, like, well, why do you care what your beliefs are? Well, I think, I don't have proof for this, but I have some anecdotal evidence from my own life. Yeah. I think you get what you believe in your life.
Wow. You know, like yeah. you, 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 you think you're a one hit wonder and your career's over. You're gonna get more of your one hit wonder and your career's over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think you're gonna win the Grammy? Have a, then you're gonna get that. And just you, your interpretation of things that happen in your day to day changes. You know, when I have this this more like empowered mindset, things that maybe maybe would have looked like a waste of time. Man, fuck that. It's not gonna work out. I'm not gonna do that. They start to look like, oh, maybe that's like the thing that leads to you. Sort of feel like you're on this, this adventure, this journey, and you're like, go for each each one of those. And so you can see in like a very non woo woo way how that may like elicit like a real set of different outcomes mm-hmm. for you, set of better outcomes that are more aligned with that new belief. So yeah. with that like repeated thought or the repeated phrase in your head, because um, as you mentioned, it's not this magic phrase that you throw out there and somehow it just falls into your lap like that way that you think and it changes your belief from i'm a one-hit wonder to i'm a win a grammy what sort of um i guess changes like physically or actually like real tangible changes did you see happening because i mean we've we've talked about this on this pod like you know many times you know Mm where focus goes energy flows right anything that you think about all the time um if you're thinking about you know teslas all the time you're going to just see a bunch of teslas exactly. driving around right yeah. because you're you're looking for it yeah and then and so you know for you to think okay one hit wonder meaning i'm actually not motivated to write because why would i i'm a one hit wonder like my that part of my life is done but now that you change the narrative it's like no i'm gonna win, win a grammy i'm gonna play this song on a guitar on jimmy fallon then you're gonna start making actual moves so that that can become a reality, right? So can you talk a little bit about like how you took that sort of manifesting thought and how did that actually become reality? Yeah, you're right, man. Like you can just sit in your bedroom and like make vision boards and like then you just have a bunch of pictures on your wall, right? <laughs> just like, hope for something to magically yeah, happen. Yeah, but I will say work, like yeah. that, like the work starts to feel a little more fun. It starts to feel like an adventure. Like it's, you're, you're, the universe is pulling you towards something beautiful. So then like, yeah, man, like how did I, I, I went to play Jimmy Fallon. I had another like belief like that in my head, which was I suck at TV performances. Hmm. Because when I, my, when I had Cooler Than Me, first, my first time doing promo, I really didn't know how to sing, man. Like, like I told you, I've just been rapping and I just started adding melody to my stuff. And the song blew up. Now they're like, okay, action, go. I'm on live TV. I'm like, dog, when I recorded this song, I was just singing one line at a time, like a hundred oh, times to get yeah, it right. Yeah. Like I hadn't even sung my song through. Like I didn't know what I was doing. Dang, and so wow. of course, like I, I, I never like bombed, but I never did great on TV. Mm. So I was like, in my head, I thought I'm not good at TV. But that was another one. I started my notebook just writing. I love playing on TV. I love playing on TV. And I played found before with Cooler to Me. So I was like going through my head, man, like just doing this show a million times in my head. But then like going back to your question, I also practiced the song a million times. Yeah. And I didn't even practice. I try to emulate how it's going to feel. I was like, I know I'm going to be nervous on TV. So then I go run down, down the block. Like I had a big hill. I go down the hill up down the hill back again i'm breathing like this <gasps> pick up the guitar play the song because that's oh how it feels when you're nervous right. that's how it feels when you're nervous yeah, totally. your heart's beating faster yeah. you're more out of breath yeah so okay i don't play the song that's how i practice the song now <laughs> that's crazy dang you like 
freaking Rocky Balboa with the training right now. <laughs> no, I just did, I just want to do good. Yeah, you know what I mean. I just want to do well. There's and so there's definitely some magic. I mean, it, it, it's it's um. The way you tell it is very, very awesome and humble, but you're magical at the same time. Like for you to have that mentality where you're like, I'm gonna flip the switch on this. People have been like shelving two of my albums. Like there's a lot of energy coming your way that can put many weaker minds in a certain space, but there's a there's a simplicity and a brilliance to the way that you just chose to flip that mm -hmm. for yourself. You know what I mean? I just want to acknowledge how powerful that is. Thank you. Yeah. But it's not magic though. It's not magic. Yeah. That's why I really start off with like like. I, I was lost. I was lost. So it's like anyone can do this, and it's not you're not gonna be having the same dreams as me. It's not gonna be win a Grammy or play yeah, film or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's whatever your dreams are. Yeah. Right. So, but it's not magic. It's not magic at all. It's like anyone can do. Anyone can change their own mind. I love that. Any like you know what I mean. So that's important. I appreciate it. it's magical, but it's not. It's not unique to me yeah totally yeah, yeah. I don't the, have no, the specifics of your yeah. choices i'm like whoa yeah. but I, I i feel that for sure yeah, yeah. It, it's not it's anyone has this power your mind is is, is your like you have sovereignty over your own mind mm. yeah absolutely and so yeah man this song started blow up started blow up and uh my manager called like yo fallon wants to wants to have you on i'm like oh my god it's <laughs> happening <laughs> But guys, when I got to Fallon to play the song, it was like I already been there. I already did it. It, mm -hmm. it felt like I, it was done. It felt like it was done. Like I killed this show already. Because I'd done it in my head a million times. That's I went up there, ripped it, man. It felt so good. I was, like, so I was like, I don't suck at TV, man. Like, <laughs> wow, you know what I mean? Whole crowd was singing the thing. Like, I hit my notes. Like, and I was playing the guitar. Yeah. The whole yeah. song, it was like so cool. It was so cool. And, uh, yeah, the song was like kept getting more and more popular, and uh, they got nominated for a Grammy, not album of the year, song of the year. I'm like, oh, universe works a different way. Different ways, right? <laughs> yeah. So all the stuff I have on my list start happening. Label dropped me, check. Got a new manager, check. Played Fallon, check. Killed it. Got nominated for a Grammy, check. Now all I got to do is win the Grammy, right? So I went to the Grammys. I didn't win. Adele won the Grammy. She's but, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, I, but there's yeah. the same thing. Like you could, you could interpret that like a, a million different ways. Like I didn't win. Oh, maybe this was all BS. This whole thing, like it wasn't meant to be, or whatever. Nah, that Grammy's on its way, man. I'm still gonna win that Grammy. Yeah, you know? it's definitely gonna happen. But it always comes in a way you don't expect. Yeah. Right. So that's another thing I learned is like you could have, you could, you could set the intention, but the the path that the universe gonna give you there is not what you think it's gonna be you know what i mean totally like i i, I thought i was gonna write this beautiful song like this ballad would like blow up nah it's like these guys in norway received they remixed it and it was like a club banger i was like what how'd that happen? you know and like <laughs> it was a hard club yeah, the yeah remix, was, that's they, a hard they, one yeah. they did a great job you know but it was like i wasn't i didn't even really listen to it honestly they sent it to me like, is it cool if we, the label is like, cool get a remix? And I was like, of course. Like, I came up remixing and sampling. I'm like, I understand the ethos of that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, they said, I was like, can we put this out? I listened to it once. But I was like, like I was living, living, living in my van at the time. I was listening to Dylan and like going deep on like old country, like Merle Hacker. I was like, yeah, it's cool. Put it out. I didn't really listen to it. And that's all I was like, Phew. Yeah. Anyways, all that to say is just like, 
it's never in the way you think. Yeah, yeah. It's never in the way you think. And a lot of times for me is when I let go of it, it comes back. I'm like, oh, I forgot this was my dream, but now it happened, you know? <laughs> if that makes sense. No, that's Anyways. powerful. Were you always like a, a driven, sort of ambitious type of person even as a kid? Or did you find that later in life? No, I was always like real competitive. Yeah. Always wanted to like do really well. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, like, it seems like, you know, I want to get like all A's, everything, you know. Do you have yeah. siblings? Yeah, one older sister. she amazing? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's pretty yeah. good, man. <laughs> she's that's what I'm she's yeah. more interesting than me, I think. Yeah. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. So, I mean, you being able to apply the way that you've always been, yeah, competitive, sort of a perfectionist, um, never a stranger to putting in the work, whether that's in school or whether that's in your music and things like that. Um, and so through the challenges that you face, because I know that there was kind of, as you even talking about, like a period where you weren't really making, putting out music um, and uh, you kind of went through some personal challenges and things like that you decided to walk across America yeah, <laughs> on a absolutely. whim in 2019. Um, can you talk a little bit about like that, that sort of season in your life where um, things weren't maybe going the way that you thought and then you thought, maybe I got to switch it up. Maybe I got to walk across the country. Like how does, how does that even come about? This, this is like a, a preface, like a warning. Sometimes people get inspired by the story I'm about to tell. But Sometimes we don't have to go on a walk across America. Sometimes we need to take our mind on a walk across America mm. and change that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes what we're doing externally is okay. But we need to change how we're doing it. You see what I'm saying? So that wasn't my path. I changed what I was doing externally. But I'll get to that. Essentially, I'm doing the same thing now that I was doing before I left. So, uh, but everything's different on the inside. Okay, so what, what the hell am I talking about? That was about? hella cryptic, but yes. Hella cryptic. <laughs> It'll make sense after I, I say it, man. So basically, yeah, man. Uh, I had this dream of, of walking across America. I just thought it was dope. I heard I heard about someone else doing it. I was like, I'm going to do that one day. And then I didn't. I didn't. And there's a, there's a, I started to research like the walk across America. I... I got in touch with other people that had walked across America. I interviewed them, learned from them. I read the books that they had written. I did everything in regards to walking across America except walking across America. <laughs> but I found out there's a strategy to it. You start in early spring and you try to be done before winter hits for obvious reasons. That makes sense. Yeah. So every time spring rolled around, there was something, there's something in the way. There was like a reason not to go. Like I had to finish my album or i had the tour to support the last album or there was a wedding like there was always something yeah. in the way and i said next year next year next year and uh so the walk like 
I guess I'm challenging the, the frame of the question a little bit. It didn't necessarily come from something feeling wrong in my life. Mm-hmm. It was a dream wow. of like something beautiful to me. I thought it was beautiful that I wanted to do. But again, I didn't do it. Five years, one year, two years, no walk. Three years, four years, no walk. Five years go by, no walk. Every year, something in the way, next year. And so my dad passed away. And uh, then these guys I worked with, like my peers that like my age in the music industry, some of them started to die too. Avicii died. Uh, Mac Miller died. I start to think like, I'm going to die one day too. Everyone wants you to forget that, right? Why? Because if you forget you're going to die, You'll waste your precious time, like the most beautiful thing you have, beautiful gift you have in this life, doing what they want you to do. Mm -hmm. Working for their company, make money to buy stuff that they want to sell you. What you know what I mean? So it's the biggest secret in plain view, like you're going to die. Hmm. I said, Do you be in touch with this? Because these people around me were dying. I said, Man, I'm gonna die one day too. I hope not soon, but I'm gonna die. But before that day comes, I wanna live my life, like live. And so what I'm doing now is not living. I'm living like this this script of what an artist does, which is like make album, go on tour, make album, go on tour, make album. And it's beautiful. Like making albums is beautiful and yeah. playing music is beautiful. That's, you guys, like you're, you make art. I make art too. So it's not to demonize what I was doing, but it wasn't necessarily my path, right? It was this, it was this script of what an artist does. I was just following it. Right. And everyone in my life, my managers, all this stuff, the label, like they're invested in me doing this. Totally. But my soul is saying, do this, do something else, do this walk. Next spring was coming. It's like, you're either going to live your life and do your walk, or you're going to live this in this track of like some bullshit idea that was laid out for you that that's not, it's not your path. What's it going to be? So I said, screw it, man, I'm going. I talked to my friend Elliot. I said, man, like, I'm not sure. Dude, I want to walk across America, but everyone thinks it's crazy. My manager thinks it's crazy. He goes, that's great news. I said, what do you mean? (laughs) He said, well, you got to understand, not all crazy ideas are great, but all great ideas are crazy. (laughs) I I felt the same way. It hit me. I was like, I'm going. I'm going. Like... March 1st, I'm going. This stuff. So I start like doing it. And same thing, man. Same way. Like, I, instead of saying I'm going to win the Grammy, I start saying, I, Mike Posner, will walk across America. I, Mike Posner, will walk across America. I see myself doing, I start going deep with it. I start visualizing what I'm going to do when it's hard. You can walk across America. Let's be real. It's going to be tough. It's going to be Did t- you visualize getting bit by a snake? No, but listen, I visualize. <laughs> I visualized. You got bit by a snake. Context. Yeah, yeah I visualize yeah. what I do if I broke a leg. What are you gonna do if you break a leg? And I really got nothing more. I said, if I break a leg, I will go home. I'll heal, and I'll go back to the spot that my leg broke, and finish. It. And I will finish walking across oh, America. Dang. That's it. So. And things happened before I even left, dude. Like crazy stuff. I was at a party where everyone was. I was the only sober person there. And it was like, 
we're outside by a pool. I had no shoes on. I walked and like I walked into the leg of a chair and I broke my toe. Oh. And my legs black and I mean not my leg, my foot's black and blue. And it's like fuck man. Like I'm What was this to... February? I remember. You're it's February exactly. Because that's my friend's birthday. And I was like, I was supposed to walk across America and like whatever well, I can remember a few weeks, whatever. Yeah. Go to the doctor. He's like, dude, you got to let that heal. He's like, if you want any chance of making it, you have to let that heal. Like, if you start with that, you, I, he's like, I guarantee you won't make it. And I already announced my walk, bro, yeah. on, like, social media. I said, I'm walking across America March 1st, all this stuff. I had to go on social media like, I am not walking across America <laughs> on March 1st, but I'm still doing it. Anyways, I, I end up leaving on uh, April 15th. I stood in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of New Jersey two feet in the water, waves crashing over my back, I took my first step. Step one is take one step. Step one is take one step. I walked across the lush fields in New Jersey, walked across Pennsylvania where I shared the road with Amish buggies and saw coal country. I walked across Ohio, I walked across Indiana. I developed excruciating foot pain, plantar fascia, like everything, like I could barely stand up in the morning, but I kept going. I walked across, uh, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri during a heat wave where I stopped wearing my shorts, just wearing my signature white tights. And uh, people would say, like, man, you can't wear those. Those are, like, underwear. But it was hot, like, really hot. Yeah. And I say it's, like, the humid brand of hot where the weatherman goes on TV and says, don't go outside today. I'm going to go outside and walk 24 miles in that hot. Hmm. Was, was that your pacing, like, 24 miles a day? Yeah, I built up to that. At the, I started with, like, 10. But I built up to yeah, where I could Oregon do 24 trail out every day. <laughs> uh, further right like i'm going from the yeah all the way so uh i walked across missouri i walked into colorado um i'd walked 1797 miles since my first step i could just see the rocky mountains Jeez. on the horizon it's like emotional right i'm looking at i'm taking my next step ah this pain shoots up my leg i'm like what the heck was that man like it's crazy pain up from my ankle and my leg and then i heard a sound i didn't want to hear like shh oh now i realized a poisonous rattlesnake just oh. just bit me and uh it was like looney tunes you ever seen looney tunes at the end it says that's all folks yeah it goes oh, like dang. this it was like that on my awareness oh dang just blacked out like blacked. fainted i would i would kind of go away and then i'd come back like this and there was two fans with me that day it's because I, I said online if you find me you can walk with me so people could come from all over america walk with me so it's awesome. two guys there that day. They called 911. They let me talk to dispatch. She says, sir, I sent an ambulance from two different directions. So two ambulances and a, and a chopper. Whatever gets there first, get in. I said, okay. I said, am I going to die? She said, I don't know, sir. I end up being in the ICU three nights. My legs swells to like the size of an elephant trunk. And I go from walking 24 miles every day to I can't walk to the bathroom without a nurse and a walker. But remember my visualization, right? When if I break my leg, I'm go back. So I, I already my decision was made. You know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna do what they say. I'm gonna heal. I'm gonna listen to a doctor. I'm not gonna be stupid. But once I'm ready, I'm going back to that spot. Then I had to go home and just heal. Like I still had crutches and a walker and do pt and just like make sure i was 
learning to walk again like the right way with that foot and uh after like 21 days i was like thoughts like better I'm like wow like whoa but this was the hardest actually like one of the hardest parts of the walk was not the being bit by a snake was getting better from the snake bite because while i was hurt even though like i was in this leg was in like really bad pain and I couldn't really walk. I was in air conditioning. I was in bed, like a real bed. Um, I didn't have to be outside all day in sweltering heat. People were cooking for me, taking care of me, coddling me. John Mayer's DMing me, like wishing me, you know, heal, heal fast, brother. I'm in this nest of cuddly softness. And like I said, after 21 days, like it's better. So I got a decision, like, go back out to hell, excruciating foot pain, sweltering heat, snake riddled shoulders, the Colorado 10, or stay here in this nest. Mm. So you could be comfortable where I am, or I could be like the the man I dream to be, like, and, and live the life of my dreams, like the, like the superhero badass version of Mike Posner, where well, that motherfucker goes back to where the snake bit me and takes a step. So it, it was hard, but because I had this amazing reason to quit. Like, like people wouldn't even really think you were a quitter. That's how good that reason was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a good excuse, right? right? But yeah. that, you said it. It's an excuse. It's an excuse. And we say it out a lot, right? It wasn't meant to be. And what do we usually mean when we say it wasn't meant to be? I'm giving up. Nine times out of ten, it wasn't meant to be. I'm, I'm giving up. Yeah. I wasn't giving up. So... I went back to the spot, the snake bit me, I took a step. I kept taking steps, walked up and over those rocky mountains. I started to dream, big dream. My white tights felt like an invincibility cloak, man, after that, like snake up and over the mountains. I started to dream like I could do anything, like maybe I'll climb Everest after this, but I had to stay focused. I kept walking, walked across Colorado, kept taking steps, kept taking steps. I walked across Navajo Nation, kept, kept taking steps, walked across Arizona, kept taking steps. Across Nevada, kept taking steps into California. People start texting me, congrats, you did it. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I have 300 miles to go. I have Mojave <laughs> Desert, San Bernardino Mountains, just rattlesnakes all over here. Like, I know they meant well, but like in the state I was in, I'm like, what the fuck? Don't, I was like, don't fucking tell me that. Mm. I'm not done. My goal wasn't to walk to California, I walked to the ocean. So I kept taking steps, walked across Mojave Desert, kept taking steps. Walked into LA, kept taking steps. Hollywood signs on my right, kept taking steps. Pavement turns into sand. Venice Beach, kept taking steps. Walk turns into a sprint. After six months, three days, 2,851 miles, I dive into that ocean. <laughs> dive into that ocean. And I thought, I thought I would feel like accomplished, like I was done. But I, it didn't feel like I finished something. It felt like I was beginning something. I say beginnings hide themselves in ends. Beginnings hide themselves in ends. And so that that dream of, of Mount Everest that I had in the mountains, like it just started to slowly transform from a dream into a plan. So you didn't, you didn't have a dream about Mount Everest until you were crossing the Rocky Mountains? I think a lot of people dream about Everest, but after I did the Rocky Mountains, I was like, I could really do that. I already do that. I got no um, misconception of how hard it will be. 
It would be the hardest thing I'd do in my life, but look what I just did. Look what I'm doing right now. So there's a momentum to this stuff. Mm. There's a momentum to this stuff, man. It's like, I don't go from zero to Everest. There's all these little steps in between of like hard work, discipline, visualization that like just build on one another. Where you still like, wow, if I could do that, what else could I do? Then I did that thing. If I did that, what else could I do? Then I did that thing. And it just builds, snowball. And like a lot of people don't understand because I didn't announce it right away. I really wanted to research it because my word's important to me. So I really want to like understand like the risk and everything. Because if I commit to, to climb Everest, I'm going to climb Everest. I'm going to do it. All that to say, I started training two weeks later. My, my body was jacked up, man. Like it was really messed up. So you literally when just I, finished when, six months of walking across America. And was, two weeks later, you started training for Everest? Yeah, and I was still messed up. I was still messed up, like physically. And uh, just like like if I sat down like this and I stood up, it just hurt, bro. It felt like I was 100 years old. And I didn't know. I thought maybe that's how I was going to feel the rest of my life because of all of how far I had walked. I didn't know. But I was like, you know, I'm not like there's more. There's more. You know, I started to walk. I thought there's a little more in here. But by the end, I was like, I'm wrong. It's a lot more there, cause I didn't I didn't like crawl into the ocean. I sprinted into the ocean. Yeah. Like, what else can I do? So anyway, yeah, I'll just say I, st- I started training, climbing mountains. I just I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back to like that that nest that sandbox. Yeah. I met the guy who became my coach, Doctor John. He had done four Everest expeditions. He got a great line. He said, train for climbing mountains by climbing mountains. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? Yeah. Train yeah. for climbing mountains by climbing mountains. So that's what we did. The training was crazy. We climbed 71 mountains together. My life was on the line just in the training. Like, we'd do stuff like fall, you die. After a year and a half, we went to Nepal. After we climbed those 71 mountains, tried to climb our 72nd, tallest one in the world, Mount Everest, man. And uh, like a lot of people do like the trek to Everest base camp. We were going to base camp, going to fucking summit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going to summit. Some people come up to me like, yo, my f- cousin's friend did Everest. I'm like, no, they backpacked to, to base camp. It's different. Yeah. It's <laughs> different. different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. Like I, I wish everyone in the world could, could go to like do that hike to base camp, but it's different. So we got there and, uh, the way Everest works, you can't just get there and climb the mountain. You die. It's too high. Yeah. Because the air is so thin. It's mm-hmm. 29,035 feet. It's like the, the, the height that jets fly at. So you have to do what's called a climatization rounds. You go up a little bit, go to camp two. Maybe you go to touch camp three and you come down. You let your body build more red blood cells and uh, help adjust. Doesn't make it easy. Makes it possible. And and just being at Everest was like horrible for me. Just being at base camp. Base camp's at seventeen thousand three hundred feet. You just start to feel like you're falling apart, man. Like start like not being able to remember names and like cities and song titles and take a couple steps. I was a freaking killer shape by then, but that altitude, something else. Yeah, something else. You know, so like you 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 get up to walk to the bathroom, you're like. <sighs> 
head just pounding, like horrible headaches. You know, sleep at night and <gasps> wake up like that. Your body thinks it's like underwater pretty much. Wow. Because it's, it's just no, not a lot of air. Are you sleeping with like oxygen tanks and stuff? Not yet. Not yet. You put them up higher. So we we were doing that acclimatization round. We went up to camp two, touched camp three. We came down and a lot of it's waiting, wait for the weather. And uh, it's, it's such a trip mentally because everyone around you is climbing Everest. All anyone talks about every day, like for months there. And each day you get reports from the meteorologists, a couple of different ones, and they always vary a little bit. And then, you know, people think like someone comes up to you and says, like, this is your day to climb. It's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. Me and coach are looking at the weather and making a decision. Mm-hmm. That that decision has our life. And your decision might not be the same as somebody else's. That's trekking exactly that too. right. So we decide like usually the usually the weather gets really good. End of May, we're sitting there like there was some good weather May 10th, 11th. A lot of people decide to go. We decide not to. We said this weather, this day is good. We think it's gonna get better, right? So we stay. All these people go up, like a couple hundred people went up, and most of them summited. And you start to think, you start to feel jealous because it sucks being at Everest. It hurts. You know, they get to go home, man. Say a FOMO, like I wish we wish we went. Maybe we made the wrong decision. That's a crazy FOMO to feel. Crazy FOMO, but then. You hear about all these summits, but then that's halfway, right? Like we just talked about, you yeah. got to get down. Summits halfway. So then you start hearing, so they come down most people, but a couple people don't come back. Wow. Dead. So then that elicits a whole other emotional reaction, which is like, I even want to do this, man. A lot of doubt has to come up. I thought about quitting before we even started. It's crazy, man. It's a crazy place. Decided to climb. We left base camp around midnight, and we knew it was like, uh, we knew it was going to be, we were going to climb in a storm up to camp two because we knew when that storm ended, there's going to be a good weather window. We want to be in position to hit the summit, that window. So we went in this storm, got to camp two, and it snowed a lot. We get to camp three. That's when I put on oxygen. And the next day you go to camp four. So it's like each of these days are like marathons, man. And marathons where you like don't sleep that night. So you go to camp. Then we go to camp four. Another like 12, 10, maybe 10 or 11 hour day going, climbing. Again, now it's like 11 in the morning and it's like six. At 6 p.m., you got to start getting ready to go for the summit, which is a 17-hour day. So it's like stringing these like marathons, right worse than a marathon, together with no recovery, not not sleeping, like horrible. Camp 4 is the highest camp, then the summit. So we left Camp 4, we tried to go to the summit. Above Camp 4 is what's called the death zone. Well, it's called the death zone because... That's inspiring. Yeah, it's just like the human body... Can't survive there. Yeah. So you go up there, you're dying. You only got a certain amount of time you could be up there. So you start going. And you hear stories about like frostbite. So I all my layers on and whatnot. I start going. I'm like, dog, I'm too hot. I'm sweating, which is like a big deal in mountains. 
especially when it's on Everest on the summit be like negative 15, negative 20. If you're wet, sweating, it can freeze and it's bad news. Yeah. So like heat regulation is a huge part of high altitude mountaineering. Mm. So you want to be like, you obviously don't want to be cold, but you don't want to be sweating. You're yeah. be right in that zone. I'm yeah. sweating. I'm like, fuck, I got to take it. All right, stop. So I unzip my, my big suit and I take a middle layer off, put it back on. Always people just start passing me. You always hear about the lines on Everest, right? It's too many, it's too many people. So we start going. There's all these people in front of me. And there's this natural resting place called the balcony. Where everyone takes a break there. We start getting close to it. I said, John, we get to the balcony. Everyone's going to take a 10, 15 minute break. I go, let's take a, let's take a two minute break and pass everybody. He's like, I'm with you. <laughs> so we did exactly that two minutes. And I was like, bro, I don't know. Something clicked in. Cause I, I was really struggling guys. Like when up to camp four hour, I ain't feel great. I, ain't, I felt like trash, honestly. But then someone hit me there. I said, going like that. We left and it was like four guys ahead of me and then two headlamps like way up on the mountain. I was like, I don't even know who those people are. <laughs> Is that even, are those even people? Because it's, it's the middle of the night. Yeah. Right? You leave at 8 p.m., start getting ready at 6, leave at 8, climb all through the night. And you're aiming to get there around sunrise. So I'm like right behind these guys. And then we had, it was me, John, we had two local guides on our team, Dawa Dorje Sherpa and Dawa Cheering Sherpa. Dawa Cheering catch up to me. We were climbing behind these guys, just kind of matching their pace, kind of drafting off them. It's not really drafted, but you like to think that you're going, you're going pretty slow. <laughs> Everest pace <laughs> yeah. pretty slow, but it feels fast, you know? And I said, Dawa, let's pass these guys, man. So, and pass people is like a little dangerous because there's only one rope. Yeah. One rope. So you pass them, but you got to get off the rope, go around them, off the rope, mm. and you clip back in. We passed those guys. Start going. Get up to like the second summit, uh, south summit. And then we started to see those lights, those ones that were like way ahead. They're like, oh, they're right there. I get up. It's my friend Eric's from base camp. I'm like, bro, he's like in this like snow cave, like on the shoulder. I'm like, bro, what are you doing, bro? He's not moving. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, you got this guy was late for everything, bro. Like breakfast, he'd be like, lunch, he'd be late. Like we'd have little like check-ins with like safety and gear stuff. He'd be late every day, like for months. He's late to every single thing. He was like, I'm too early, bro. Because <laughs> you don't, you know, the point is you don't want to get to the summit yeah, in the yeah. dark. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you want to get there in the dark. He's like, I'm too early. I'm like, shit, man, am I too early? So John catches up to me. He's like, no, bro, let's go now. He said, we go now, we hit it perfect. So we passed them, we go. So people talk about the lines on Everest. We were first. That day we were first. And it's not a race. People leave at all different times, whatever. But it's pretty cool to go up there. We were first. Yeah, man. nobody else is there at yeah. that time. Just yeah. beautiful to be walking up with no one in front of you, man. Mm. Unreal. So after all that like pain, that training where I felt like my life was on the line, like on June 1st, 4.35 a.m., John was right, sun's rising, and Mike Posner flopped onto the summit of Mount Everest. And I, I wept. I wept. It's like one of the most beautiful moments of my life. People realize mountains have shadows. Of course a mountain has a shadow, but like when you're on the summit of a mountain, like Mount Everest, and the sun rises, it's a shadow, like, like a big shadow. <laughs> Like a shadow that's like, 
hundreds of miles. Yeah. Wow. Like going into China, like hundreds and hundreds of miles. This beautiful pier and it's just I can't explain what it's like to look at that. Felt like the universe itself was like cradling me in her bosom. And I knew Everest was gonna change my life, but I didn't know how. I thought it was gonna make me proud. Like I did it. Made me humble, made me grateful. I look in the eyes of Dawa and Dawa and John. It's like I'm only here because of you guys, not in the not in the like, L.A. making my gratitude list kind of way. Like, mm-hmm. no, nah, these guys. Like, I was the weak. <laughs> was, I was the weakest guy on that team. Of those four guys, I'm the only guy that hasn't already summited Everest multiple times. Yeah, I'm the mm-hmm. weakest guy on that team. Like, I'm there. I, I was there because of them. If I didn't have them. I wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. So you just filled up with gratitude, man. I can't explain the emotion of looking someone else in the in the eye after having gone through the most difficult thing that you've ever done in your life yeah and being yeah. there together in that in that at that place is it's life-changing that's incredible man but like i said we're only halfway we're halfway so the thing that makes ever so dangerous one is the altitude so like you're you're in this zone that's like a ticking time bomb but the real thing i gotta illustrate is like you you never this tired in your life before. And I'd already done these crazy things. Like my training was crazy. I'd walked across America. That was the most tired. And you're so dehydrated, so sleep deprived. So you're feeling something in your body you've never felt before. Like a, a tired that you ne- I never felt before. And above camp two, like where that avalanche was, there's no rescue. That's what that's what's hard to explain to people. Like they say, well, you know, if you like, you get tired, like they come get you. No, that doesn't. You you get yourself down, or you don't come down. Period. The the helicopter can't go that high. Mm -hmm. Choppers can't go to twenty five, twenty six, twenty eight, twenty nine thousand feet. There's no rescue. So you do something small, like you twist your ankle, break an ankle, you bang your knee, like. If you can't get yourself down, you don't come down. That's crazy. <laughs> so each step, there's like two things. It's like, one, I want to be real careful. Two, do I have enough in the gas tank? And I have to know, like, there's a voice in you who says, turn around, this sucks because it, it hurts. Like, it's just horrible. And then there's like, that's like the bitch voice. <laughs> right yeah. that we all have so usually like we don't listen to that but then like separate from the bitch voice is like voice of reason which you need on mountains which is like i should turn around here or i don't have enough and so like it's very hard to sometimes those voices have a similar they'll say the same thing but they have different things yeah but they have a similar texture a similar tone <laughs> you know so that's that's exhausting yourself each step trying to suss out and you don't you don't ever really know if you're doing the right thing. You know, yeah. like if you make it down, you did. So it's really hard, man. And and as we coming down, like I remember between camp four and camp three on the descent, and uh there were these Sherpa, a team of four Sherpa, and they were they were trying to bring down a corpse of someone that died like a week ago, week before. It just struck me like what a privilege it is to be a living human being. So that's why I'm like the the points I made at the beginning of the story like an hour ago, which were cryptic, which is sometimes you don't need to change 
the external. So you need to change the internal. So I made it off that mountain with my life and my fingers and my toes and my nose. I have, I'm alive. And now I essentially am doing the same exact things I was doing before I left for my walk. I'm focused on music. And it's like, how, 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 like, how does the story end where it began? Is because the way all those things changed my life was it just left me with the appreciation for being here. And that doesn't mean I don't work hard. I work real hard. Doesn't mean I won't work out. I work out real hard. It, it just means I'm, I'm sharing my gift. My gift is music. Mm-hmm. And, and I intend to like, share and inspire shine my light uh as bright as i can till it's time for it to go out i had this line in my song says there'll be more than camping gear to unpack sometimes you have to go there just so you could come back Mm. and uh you know like i think about myself in high school somebody asked me i did like a tiktok live today Somebody asked me this question, like, did you did you dream did you ever dream you would be where you are at now? I thought about it, man. It's like when I was a teenager, my dreams weren't even this big. This my is life, the most silent we've been I, in yeah, the entire I, podcast. I, can't, by I don't the way. even have words, man. Yeah. I have just I wanna just keep receiving <laughs> yeah. more from you. I've no. never been this silent. I'm literally dumbfounded right now, man. I'm I'm a little emotional too, but it's like I really look at my life, bro. Like my life is bigger than my dreams were. And that's like, that's, you can't, you can't pay money for that, man. Yeah, I mean, dude, like, here we, you know, Anthony and I were talking before you got here, like, oh man, yeah, we're stoked, you know, you know, Mike Posner has had such a impact on our lives as, as dancers and as creatives, and, you know, we're talking about the catalog of music, and I don't even, I mean, we, oh yeah, this guy walked across America, like, and, and yeah, he, he climbed, climbed Mount Everest, like, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that too, <laughs> but it's more just like, wait a second, I don't, I don't think I was ready for this, you know what I mean, and um, it's, it's, it's incredible, man, it's incredible. I'm, I'm very thankful that you're um, a very good storyteller. Yes. Thanks. Very good, because like, People can do amazing things, but if they don't have the ability to articulate, then that's sometimes where the inspiration might not be shared. But I got to say, this is probably the most inspiring, impactful podcast I've ever been a part of because I just sat here and I didn't say shit. <laughs> I couldn't. You I'm know, saying, I'm like, oh, I don't crap. Have to say. You know, but, yeah. but it's also because, you know, uh, and again, we've gotten a chance to sit with people who have done amazing things, but I think just the why and the how anybody else can also like truly become their own superhero version of themselves is is that's really what a lot of people need to understand and, and to find out you know so it, i'm i'm also in the in yeah. the same righteous way just fully taken aback and just empowered by this entire experience right now thank you bro yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, I know we're, we're a little bit short on time, too, and, you know, we kind of have, like, a, a, a lightning round that we normally do. But let's do lightning. How long is the lightning round? You want to go lightning round? Okay, let's get it to the lightning round. lightning round usually five minutes. Uh, yeah, we're going to we, try to be real lightning. Okay, <laughs> we'll go real lightning. Here we go. Three, two, one. What's your favorite Disney movie? Oh, uh, Moana. 
Is that Pixar? Disney? Is that count? Disney. No, that's still Disney. That's Moana is fire, bro. Yeah, I love that music. That music is so good. It's so shiny. Like the roses on the prisoner's neck. Scrub the deck. That song's crazy. That's what's his name from Hamilton? Lin Samuel. Yeah, I can't see his name. Lin Manuel Miranda. Miranda. Yeah, why Samuel? Yeah, he did that music, man. Yeah, fire. Really good. Who is your childhood hero? I had a lot of them. You know, heroes is crazy, right? Because you don't really want to have heroes. You want to have inspirations that, like, you take pieces from because everyone's flawed, right? Like, there's parts of me, too. People are going to be inspired by this. And, like, look, I got some fucked up parts of me, too, man. You don't want to copy this thing, like, verbatim, you know? Like, (laughs) take the good. There's some good parts, too, right? Yeah. And I hope I shared some today. So, like, take those. But, like. So, you just walked across America. You just summited Everest. What's next? since i got back i had to stop um so the first thing i did and it's like we could do a whole other podcast but like i spent three weeks in solitude when i got back doing nothing just meditating and reading holy books like in complete isolation so i didn't see another person for 21 days (laughs) and on that retreat decided i wanted to share the music that was still inside me so my goals right now are, are m- musical and uh they're not really athletic at all although like i train real hard and like i love being healthy and that's a part of my life but yeah i'm not really like risking my life like doing a wild yeah, athletic yeah. project mm-hmm. at the moment and yeah, I don't, yeah, ice and I, baths are enough for me i'm yeah. already like dang i can't do that <laughs> i love the ice bath but yeah, yeah I, I yeah man like i don't really have plans to either so i have a lot of goals in my life a lot of them artistic um intellectual spiritual um those were like the ma- big like athletic goals you mm. know so that was the other thing too like before the walk i was like we're getting a little older man if you're gonna do those like maybe strategically like do them first (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah yeah yeah. if you could prescribe something to the world for someone to do once daily what would that one thing be a wim hof method oh yeah so i I became wim hof method instructor this year dope um yeah so that was like kind of a goal i had after um i met wim during my everest training the breath work helped me on the mountain as well as the cold immersion helped me prepare for the the mountain. Um, all that to be said, I, the Wim Hof method is like also like a spiritual practice. Yeah, like it's yeah. a health practice, but secret, it's a spiritual. Practice. <laughs> like at least for me, man, you yeah. know. And so yeah, that involves like cold cold exposure and breath work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, if people could do like even like either a ice bath or a cold shower, and also like 30, 40 minutes of this breath work which is like 30 in, to 40 minutes <laughs> that's if you go deep like you you can do it 20 you can do 15 20 minutes on a like daily basis mm-hmm. um but you got this is my dream right so yeah. in my dream they do 30 or 40 yeah, minutes no, right? I, love it. I, I like the youtube version dude, of wim hof <laughs> dude this this breath work and actually i was thinking like i love to uh uh have the kinges over and and lead a wim hof workshop for you guys. so down yeah like already times there. one million yeah. already. Have there. you guys all breathing together? We cr- this Yo. breath work is like so powerful and profound. The first time I did it, I was like, wait a minute, what like what what drug did I take? What like what mm-hmm. my whole body was like tingling. I felt like my thinking mind had just sort of faded away. It was almost like a borderline psychedelic experience. 
my heart opened up. Like I cried the first time I did it. It's really beautiful, beautiful practice, man. So yeah, I'd love to share that with you guys, and yeah, that would be my thing. I'd have people off. do. All right. All right, we'll drive an hour out to you this time. Yeah, 100%, 100%. for sure. Um, I can't wait to ask this question to you, man. Because so we we ask our guests this every uh, you know every episode. The concept of mastery, right? And um, most people will say, oh, I'm not a master of anything, right? Like, I haven't mastered anything. But I think to some level, everyone has mastered something. Some some are good, some are bad. Uh, Bruce Lee has a quote where he says, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Yeah, fire. <laughs> what is what is something out of the <laughs> the crazy life that you've lived that you feel like you've cut, you can kind of boil it down to as something that you feel like you've mastered? Well, I don't know, master it because I'm still like uncovering a lot. But the thing I'd probably be closest to mastery at is just uh, songwriting. I guess like, I don't know if you want to call it pop songwriting. Like I'm not writing like classical pieces, but writing songs like that usually have like a verse, pre-hook, a hook format. Yeah, uh, I've done that like thousands and thousands of times. And a lot, most of them suck. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's probably the thing I'm like the best at mm. of anything that I do. Man, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I, I, yeah, I echo what Ant said. This has definitely been um, one of, if not the most like um, impactful conversations I've ever had in my life, to be honest with you. This is crazy. And that's why I, I'm normally not really one to not have words, but I was just like, I was sucked in, bro. And um, yeah, like how can uh, people follow your journey, man? Uh, anything you want to kind of uh, let people know what's coming out or how? how can I got they... some songs coming yeah, out. Be on the lookout for that. You can follow me on Spotify. People don't usually say that. You can follow me on Spotify. My name, my real name and my stage name are the same. They're Mike Posner, P-O-S-N like Nancy, E-R. And, uh, yeah, like on some of the other stuff, like whether it's Wim Hof or lessons from like the walk or the climb or like I'm really in the sprouting too. And like just all about health, really, man. Like I love, like I love, I love being alive, bro. And so like trying try to like take care of this meat sack and stick yeah. around. And so I got a lot of content about that and just on Instagram and TikTok. Everything's just at Mike Posner. That's what's up. That's yeah, we'll, we'll definitely plug all that. But um, again, man, so thank you so much. And uh, again, we'll keep it going. And uh, for everybody tuning in, thank you so much for stopping in with us um, and listening to the pod. And uh, we appreciate you guys for tuning into every episode. If you guys are digging what we're doing, hop on to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, write us a review. Make sure you follow us on all socials. Can just podcast with a K. Uh, we're on IG, Twitter, Facebook, all the things. And uh, take a screenshot. Let us know you're listening. We'll regram all that stuff. And um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for stopping. The Kinja's motherfucker. <laughs> that's the sound by the whole that's market it. right there. You heard it here. <laughs> Peace out, y'all. Kinja Bay.